All right. Every, once a month, we, we take a weekend and we receive an offering, a uh, benevolent offering, uh, to help people in our church and outside of our church that just need some financial help. Uh, this is the weekend we're doing that. When you exit this morning at, at all of the doors, there's going to be ushers with collection baskets to receive I- anything that you can give toward helping families this holiday season uh, just with some financial, some financial help. Um, all right, we are beginning our Christmas series this weekend. It's called Tidings of Truth. We've never, ever done this. Since I've been here in 13 years here at Central, we've never done a sermon series like this, Tidings of Truth. Let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, this morning we ask for your presence here, and we know that you're here because you're always in the presence of believers when they gather in Jesus' name. And so that's why we're here, uh, to honor Christ and to, and to worship him. And so, Holy Spirit, move freely among us today. Open up the scriptures to us. Help us to understand your truth. Help us to live it out today, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you're watching us online this morning, welcome. Uh, Wherever you are, at home or on vacation or in some other place, we're glad you're joining us today. If you're in the concourse, uh, welcome as well. I want to know what your favorite Christmas hymn is. I want to know what your favorite Christmas hymn is. So we're going to throw a list up on the screen, and this is going to give you some options. One through seven are songs. Number eight, if your favorite Christmas hymn is not on this list, then you just choose number eight. I'm going to go one by one and ask you. You only get to choose one. Your favorite, okay? So how many of your your favorite Christmas hymn is number one, Silent Night? Okay, a few hands going up. All right. Number two, Oh Holy Night. Yeah, it's a big one. Number three, joy to the world. And if you're online, I can see your hand. So just, just go ahead and throw, throw your hand up. Joy to the world. We got that one. Okay, number four, uh, the first Noel. Good. Yeah, beautiful song. Number five, hark, the herald angels sing. Yeah. Number six, angels we have heard on high. A few more. Number seven, oh, come all ye faithful. Yeah. And number eight, I didn't, I didn't have your song up there. You have a different one? I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus or some, something like that. Okay. <laughs> whatever, whatever that was. All right. Um, so you love the song, but do you know what it means? Do you know the meaning behind the song? So for the next four weeks, we are going to take four Christmas, famous Christmas hymns and explain why the author wrote it and what its uh, theological significance is. And today we're looking at the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Um, We all have lots of different roles in life. And with each of those roles comes a title or a name. And and every role has a unique function. So if you are are dating somebody, we we give names to that. You're, You're a boyfriend or you're a girlfriend or if you're really far along, you're a fiance. If you're married... Uh, we call you a husband or we call you a wife. That's a, that's a name, a title that comes with a certain function. If you're, if you're a parent, you're a mom or a dad, a mother or a father. If you have a job, if you work, you may be a nurse. Uh, you may be a teacher. You may be a construction worker. You may be um, a coach. I, I don't know what your vocation is, but we give, a, we give a name to that. We give a title to that. So I have several titles and roles in my life. Uh, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a leader. Um, I'm, I used to be a coach. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm a friend. We give, we give names and titles to all of those functions. And this thing really hit home for me a few years ago. I was having a conversation with my daughter, Shannon, who was in a really unhealthy marriage. And I was explaining to her what the, what the Bible said about divorce. 
And she just stopped me. And she said, you know what, I don't, I don't need you to be my pastor right now. I just need you to be my dad. And what she was saying was, can you just take off the pastor hat? I don't need you to preach to me right now. Put the dad hat on. I just need you to listen and love. So with each function, with each role in life, there's this unique you know, function, a, a way we live that out. Uh, o come, O come, Emmanuel highlights the unique roles and titles of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Let me give you a little background to this song and, and its story. It was probably written in 800 or 900 A.D. Uh, culture by, uh, by, uh, by a, a Catholic monk who was anonymous in Europe. Now, culturally, in those days, most people did not read and write. Nobody had their own personal Bible. The only people that really knew how to read and write in those days were the priests. And so this song is, is written uh, by a priest, Catholic monk, that we, we don't know who he was. Here's what we know about him. He was brilliant theologically. I, I mean, this dude, he knew the scriptures and he was well-trained in theology. So he wanted the common person, the person in his culture, the person in his society that didn't know how to read and write, that didn't have their own Bible. He wanted them to learn and remember that Christmas is all about Jesus Christ. Everything about it, beginning to end, is about Jesus Christ. We've made it more than that, haven't we, in our culture? We, we've made it less about Jesus and, and a, a lot more about other things. This, this Catholic monk, who we don't know, wanted the people of his day that didn't have the scriptures on their own, couldn't read or write, he wanted them to learn and remember the most important thing that we could know about Christmas, that it's all about Jesus Christ. And so he wrote a, a, what's called a chant. It, it wasn't originally like a song. It was a, it was a chant called an antiphon. An antiphon was a, was a short liturgical saying or statement that, that, that followed the, the, the reading of Scripture. And, and this particular chant had seven stanzas, seven antiphons. And each stanza introduced a new title or role for Jesus Christ. And we're going we're gonna to look at the first four of those in just a moment. First four stanzas are chants. Now, in 1852, an Anglican priest by the name of John Mason Neal uh, translated this chant from Latin into English. In 1854, a man named, uh, another uh, Anglican priest named Thomas Helmore, he added music to it. And a little while later, it was given a chorus to go with the verses or the chants. So we're going to look at the first four stanzas or, or verses in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and answer the question, what does this song teach us about Christmas. And the first thing is this. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is Emmanuel. Let's look at the, at the chant that was written. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive, ransom, pay for the release of captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Now with each verse, it comes both with an Old Testament reference and a New Testament reference to that particular name or title of Christ. 
So we go back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will call him what? Emmanuel. So 700 years before Christ, it's prophesied that the Messiah would be called Emmanuel. We skip ahead to Matthew 1.23. Behold, the virgin, it's a quote of, of Isaiah 7.14. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which translated means what? God with us. God with us. This song is about, it, it's an invitation for God to come and free humanity from its captivity to sin. It's a song that invites God to come and free humanity from its sin. But the author uses a parallel, a metaphor of the nation of Israel to communicate this truth. So in, in the 7th century BC, if you remember your, your Bible history, because of Israel's sin, they went into captivity in a nation called Babylon. They were in that Babylonian captivity for 70 years. For the first time, they were, they were no longer under God's rulership or God's authority. They, they were no longer a theocracy. They were now under Gentile oppression and Gentile rulership. And that wasn't going to change. In fact, during that Babylonian captivity, the prophet Daniel prophesied and said, these are the empires, the civilizations that are going to come and rule the world after the Babylonians. The next empire is going to be the Medo-Persians. That's going to be followed by the Greeks. And that's going to be followed by the Romans. And so for centuries, the Jews were in exile. They didn't have a home. They, they, were, they were living under the oppression of Gentile rulership and authority. That, that didn't change officially until 1948 when Israel was regathered as a nation. They were no longer then under the, the Gentile rulership anymore. But so the, the author is identifying with this, this feeling of Israel of being in national um, captivity and exile. And, and he's saying that they, they, they long to be released from that. They, they long to be free. They, they long to be their own people again under God. But they realized they couldn't bring it about on their own. They realized that this exile that they were in, uh, they couldn't free themselves. Only, only God could do that. And so this is a parallel with humanity who, who found itself bound, captive, in exile to sin with no way to get out. So the, the ironic thing about that, you, you thought I was going to maybe change some light bulbs this morning, didn't you? Uh, the, the irony of this is that, that most people think that they can somehow get to God without God coming to them. See, th this song is a, is a recognition that, that in our sin, we can't get to heaven. We can't get to God. So we need Emmanuel. We need God to, to come and be with us. But, but people, in their minds, they build moral ladders, thinking that, that their, their good moral behavior is going to build a ladder that's going to get them to heaven. So they, they, they say to themselves, I don't, I don't really drink once in a while, but I don't get drunk. So that's the first rung on my, on my moral ladder. And I, I don't smoke, not much. I, well, in high school, I did chewing tobacco, but I only did it once. I didn't like it, so I, I don't do that anymore. And I, and, and I really don't use bad language, just once in a while. I think bad words. But I, I, don't always, I don't cuss that much. Not like the guy at work in the other cubicle. That dude, right? I mean, I'm way better than him. So we, we take another step up. And then we say, you know, I go to church Christmas and Easter. 
sometimes in between. And I'm a, I'm a good person. I care about people. I, I volunteer in the community. You want me to keep going on this thing? <laughs> people so every service they get nervous when they think I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going up, but I'm, but I'm not. But, but we build these moral ladders thinking it's going to reach to heaven, that we can get to heaven without God, just on our own goodness. And Paul says in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, some people, they only have a little, a little moral step stool because they're not very good people. And, and then other people have these really long ladders, the, the kind you see on the side of a house, because they're, they're, just, they're, they're pretty good people. And every ladder falls short. There's a gap between the top of your ladder, you thinking that your human effort is going to get you to heaven and get you right with God. There's a gap in everyone's life between their ladder and heaven. You can't get there on your own. And so this song is an invitation. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. We can't get to you. We need you to come to us. Have you made that recognition in your life? Or are you still thinking your ladder is going to get you there? Not realizing there's a big gap between the top of your ladder and heaven. And you need Emmanuel to come and save you. The second truth we learn about this song is that Jesus is the morning star. Not only is he Emmanuel, but he's the morning star. Let's, let's read the, the chant or the stanza for that one. Oh, oh come thou dayspring. Dayspring's a word for the dawn. Oh, come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Advent means the coming of the Messiah. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Scriptures. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, Old Testament. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, S-U-N, that's a messianic title. The son of righteousness who will come will arise with healing in its wings. And you will go forth and frolic like calves released from a stall. Calves in captivity. Calves that can't unlock the door themselves. Suddenly the, the son of righteousness will come and release people from their captivity to sin. And they will be like calves running out of the stall they've been pinned up in and free finally. The... The picture here is of the dawn. Day spring means dawn. Morning star is the sun when it rises in the morning. The morning star that rises above the horizon. The sun of righteousness, again, represents sunrise. And what the author is talking about is a new day, a new beginning, a fresh start. That humanity was under the clouds of oppression because of sin. That humanity was under the darkness of sinful captivity in exile with no way to get out. Looking forward to the coming of the Messiah who would be like a sunrise. Who would be like the day spring. Who would be like the dawn. Who would come and give us a new day, a new start. In fact, a new birth. Have you ever heard salvation in Christ called the new birth? Born again? Born of God? Born of, born of above. It's like this, this, this dawning of a new day, a new birth that comes into our lives when we experience Christ. And so the writer of the song is inviting us to recognize that when the Messiah comes, when Christ comes, it's going to be like a sunrise. After a long night, after a long period of darkness, suddenly 
there's a new day. Suddenly, there's a, a new birth. Suddenly, there's a new beginning. Suddenly, there's a fresh start. So my question this morning is, have you experienced the new birth? Are you born again? Are you born of the Spirit? Are, are you new in Christ? Has the light of Christ, the Son of righteousness, has he risen in your life? Because if you're in sin, you're in darkness. But have you experienced a new day? Have you experienced a fresh start in your life? So even Christians experience darkness, don't we? As Christians, we, we find ourselves under the, the dark clouds, especially during the holiday season. The, the dark clouds of grief, sadness, the dark and painful clouds of, of betrayal, sickness, addiction, bondage, slavery to some type of sin, depression, hopelessness, shame. Even as Christ followers, we, we find ourselves with the clouds of gloom and darkness over our lives, and we wonder, will they lift? We wonder, what will dispel the darkness? What clouds are making your world dark today? Does anybody need a fresh start? Does anybody need a new day? Does anybody need a new beginning? The writer of this song says we need to invite the morning star, Jesus Christ, who can rise like a son of righteousness with healing in his wings. This song is a prayer for God's sunlight to rise on us and create a new day. So whether you've never experienced the new birth or whether you've experienced the new birth but you're walking through a season of darkness, this song is an invitation for the son of righteousness to break forth in your life and bring light where there's no hope. A couple scriptures this morning. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning, and some of us need a shout of joy. Amen? Man, it's been a long night. It's been a long period of darkness, and, 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 and you know, weeping may endure for a night. Brokenness may endure for a night, but, but the hope in Christ is that a shout of joy comes in the morning when the sun rises, and it's a new day. Lamentations 3, and 23 says, The Lord's acts of mercy indeed never end. His, his compassions never fail. They are new. How often? Every morning we wake up and it's a new day. Every morning we wake up in the sunlight of God. Every morning we wake up with a fresh start and a new beginning. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. The Son of Christ is rising in your life today, bringing light and bringing hope into your world. And so if, if you're in that place of mourning, darkness, or pain, or brokenness, we, we continue to invite God's light, the Son of Righteousness, to break into our world. But let me ask you this. Who in your relational world is in darkness? Who in your relational world has never experienced new birth in Christ? Who in your relational world is under the dark clouds of, of gloom and depression? Are you inviting them? Are you asking them to, that there's, a, there's a, a hope in Christ? There's, there's sunlight. There's sunrise. There's a new start and a new beginning for those that will enter in 
to his presence. The third thing that we, we learn in the song is that Jesus is the rod or the root of Jesse. Jesus is the rod or the root of Jesse. Let's look at those words. O come thou rod of Jesse and free thine own, thine own people from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Amen? I want to read that again. O come thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Uh, Old Testament reference. Uh, Isaiah 11.10. On that day, then on that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse who will stand as a signal flag for the peoples and his resting place will be glorious. Romans 15. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come from the root of Jesse and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles in him, that's the Messiah, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Root or rod of Jesse, what does that mean? Jesse was the father of King David. So it's assumed that this means that the, the Messiah... The Savior will come from David's lineage. And in the same way that David was a king, this this Messiah that comes through the the seed of David is is going to be a king as well, but he's going to be a greater king. David was considered the greatest king in Israel. People love King David. And this king that comes from the loins of David was even going to be greater than, than King David, more powerful than King David. In fact, it says that his kingdom would come and destroy Satan's kingdom. Now, friends, there's, there's, only, there's only two spiritual kingdoms in the world that we live in. There, there's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God where Jesus Christ is the king and the ruler. And there's the kingdom of darkness, and Satan is the ruler there. And so every person, all of you, me and you right now, we are, we are in one of those two kingdoms right now, spiritually. We are either, by submitting our life to Jesus Christ and putting our trust in him for salvation, we are in his kingdom under his rulership and authority. If not, we are in the the kingdom of darkness under Satan and under his rulership and under his authority. There is no third kingdom that's neutral. We wish there was. Some of us say, well, I don't really want to be a follower of Christ. I don't want to be in that kingdom, but I definitely don't want to be under the rulership of Satan. I don't don't want to be. So I'm just going to create a neutral kingdom, my my own little kingdom. There is no kingdom that's neutral. It's one or the other. And today you find yourself, your feet are firmly planted in one of those Two kingdoms, either the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of Satan. And unless you're part of of God's kingdom, guess what kingdom you're in? That's why Paul in in Colossians 1.14 says, we've been delivered, rescued from the kingdom of darkness. And we've been transferred into the kingdom of God's son where there's redemption and forgiveness of sin. See, through Christ and putting your trust in Christ, you are delivered and rescued and saved from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God. No neutral kingdom here, one or the other. So so without Jesus, death and hell have a grip on your life. You are in the grip of hell today if you are not in the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God. And, And the reality is only Jesus can set you free. Only Jesus can free you from the kingdom of darkness. And this, this song reminds us that in Christ we are free from Satan's kingdom. Amen. A couple of verses. First John chapter 3, verse 8. 
The Son of God, Jesus the Messiah, appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil, to break the power of the kingdom of darkness. And then, and then Jesus said this in Matthew 12. The, the, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, were accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan. They, they were saying, you're able to cast out demons because Satan's giving you power. Jesus said, no, I'm not casting. I'm, I'm casting them out by the, by the spirit of God. So Jesus says this, if I'm casting out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. The kingdom of God is here. See, the kingdom of God is already here. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's an invisible kingdom. But Christ is ruling in his kingdom on the earth right now. Eventually, when he returns, he will rule physically on the earth from the nation of Israel. For a thousand years, he will reign and rule on the earth as a physical king. But right now, he's ruling as a spiritual king. And Jesus says, if, 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 um, if I'm casting these demons out by the Holy Spirit, then know that, that I've brought to the earth the kingdom of God. So which kingdom are you in this morning? Now, let me ask you this. Are there people in your relational world, people in your oikos, that are still in the kingdom of darkness? Are you inviting them? Are, are you letting them, them know that there, there's an opportunity to get out of that kingdom and into the kingdom of Christ? They can be released from the grip of hell. They can be released from sin and darkness and be transferred into a kingdom of grace if they would like. Are you, are you putting that invitation out to people? And the, the last thing we learned about this song is, is that Jesus is the key of David. The, this anonymous monk that was writing this chant, he wanted us to know that Jesus is the key of David. How many of you know what the key of David is? <laughs> My wife didn't either until till I preached last night. She found out. She learned something, which is new. For my sermons, I mean, not, not for her, yeah. Let's look at this, this, this hymn. O come thou key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. Scriptures, Isaiah twenty two twenty two. I will give him the key to the house of David, the highest position in the royal court. When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. When he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. Now, that, wasn't, that was a prophecy about, about somebody in that time. But Jesus comes along and Jesus says, that, I fulfilled that prophecy. That, that prophecy actually relates to me. So we go to Revelation chapter 3. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, from Jesus. Jesus is writing this letter. The one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. Key of David, what does that mean? Keys represent authority. The king over a city had the key to the city. What does that mean? It means he had the key to the gates. So the king had complete authority over everyone that came into the city and everyone that went out of the city. Whenever the king wanted to, he could unlock the gates and let people come in or go out, or he could close the gates. That, that was the, the privilege of the king of the city. Uh, Jerusalem is called the city of David. Why? Because he was the king over the city. David had authority. He had the key of the city. And Jesus is the king of heaven. Jesus holds the keys to heaven. Only Jesus can unlock the gates of hell to let people out. And only Jesus can unlock the gates of heaven to let people in. I'm going to say it again. Jesus has the key of David. He's the king of heaven. Only Jesus has the authority to unlock the gates of hell to let you out. And only Jesus has the authority to unlock the gates of heaven to let you in. No, no one else has that authority. 
So, so we see in Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. Jesus is speaking. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forevermore through the resurrection. And behold, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Pastor Duke Tabor says this, that, he says, the key of David then is a metaphorical reference to the authority and power of Jesus Christ. As the one who holds the key, Jesus has the power to open and shut the doors of the kingdom of God. He controls who can enter and who is excluded. And he's responsible for the safety and the security of his followers. So in, in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus going through and teaching about who he was. Seven times Jesus uses what we call the seven I am statements of Christ. He says things like in John 10, I am the gate or the door of the sheep. Anyone that's going to enter, enters through me. In John 11, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The only source of resurrection, the only source of spiritual life. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm the only way. I'm the only way out of hell and I'm the only way into heaven. John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. I'm the only source of life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We, we are stuck in the gates of hell apart from Christ. We have no access to the gates of heaven apart from Christ. He's been given the key of David, the only key, the only one that can unlock hell and unbind you, and the only one that can unlock heaven and let you in. We don't hold the keys. Jesus does. We don't hold the keys for ourselves, nor do we hold those keys for any of our family members or any of our friends. We can't let them out. They have to turn to Christ on their own. Are you currently locked in heaven or locked out of heaven? The choice is yours. Christ holds the key. Is there anyone in your relational world that right now, if they were to die, they're locked out? Don't you want them to be locked into heaven? Don't you want them to, to get unlocked from the gates of hell and have the gates of heaven open? Have you invited them to that relationship? Oh, come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Let's take a moment and with some renewed understanding, sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel.